0: So As I mentioned earlier, this is really going to be kind of a recap or a summation of a lot of what we've gone through already, or really all 21 chapters that we've gone through already. But what I want to do specifically is, if you take notes, I'm going to give you a few things to write down that will make it easier for you to go back and look at your notes and be like, oh, we had that one Sunday where we kind of summarized everything. And tie it all together. If you're not in the habit of taking notes, again, this will be one of those Sundays where I say, pull out your phone and text yourself or do a little digital note uh, or something like that. Or just make plans to listen to the recording of this sermon later, um, which might sound like punishment to some of y'all. Like, we've got to hear you once. We're not listening to a recording of you later on. But listen to the recording later when you do have a pen and paper so that you can jot these things down as your pastor, uh, this this morning I just really wanted to be really simplistic as we do this recap uh, and to challenge myself because this is something that me personally, I've, I've got a hard time kind of summarizing things, go ahead and laugh and make your jokes, which is why I'm a long-winded preacher. I try to just pack a lot of stuff in there, so I try to challenge myself to kind of, make it brief, and just write down three, three words for each of these sections that I wanted to cover. But before we get into the sections of Genesis uh, that I've grouped together here, I want you to write down three things about God. Or try to remember these three things about God. You've heard all these before. Nothing will be new this morning, I don't think. <clears throat> remember way back when we first began... And we talked about the phrase, God is God. Okay, If you don't have that written down, write it down. God is God. That pretty much should shape and drive our entire existence. If God is, if He exists, if God is God then we ought to live and operate under that truth that He alone is God. He is worthy to be praised. So God is God. Next, God is faithful. Or, if you would rather put good in that slot, go ahead. But God is faithful. You've heard me repeat that a lot throughout this Genesis study. And... The last thing I wanted you to write down about God is something you've probably heard me repeat the most during this sermon series through Genesis God is sovereign. So, God is God, God is faithful, and God is sovereign. Three things about man that we have learned through 21 chapters of Genesis man is sinful. To which I hope at this point, after 21 chapters of Genesis, we would say, duh. Absolutely. Totally on board with that. Man is sinful. Secondly, man is stubborn or foolish. If you would rather write foolish. But man is stubborn or foolish. And man... is the recipient of grace. Or you could say, man is made up of recipients of grace. Those are the things right there that I want to be just cemented in our minds. Those are the, those are the overarching themes just that are just true in general. God is God. He is faithful. He is sovereign. Man is sinful. Man is stubborn and foolish. And you could you could list any other adjectives that you want to put in there. Man is man is uh, rebellious, man is wicked, but man is sinful, man is stubborn. But man, mankind is made up of recipients of grace. And of course, this points to the thing, the person. God is God. Man is sinful. But man is made up of recipients of grace. And that grace points to the love of God, the faithfulness of God as displayed in the person. Of Jesus Christ. And although we're not reading stories of Jesus' earthly ministry in Genesis, we have seen over and over and over and over again, just through 21 chapters of Genesis, that Christ really is present. When it was promised that the head of the serpent would be crushed, that points to Christ. When Adam and Eve were clothed, With the coverings that God had fashioned for them. That points to Christ. Noah and the ark. There's foreshadowing there. The call of Abraham. That that just through Abraham, through one man, many would be blessed. All the nations would be blessed. Just through one man. That points to Christ. Even the tower of Babel. At Babel the languages were confused and the people were scattered. But the inverse of that, through Jesus Christ, the people are united and made one. So three things about God, three things about man, but then the the overarching, this this is it. If you say, Caleb, I might forget those. I might forget some other stuff. Caleb, could you just tell me one thing that you really, really want us to grasp from Genesis. You could just put the name of Jesus. You really could just put that. Or just put the Gospel. But something that I pray all of us that God is helping us connect these dots is that from the beginning, even before the beginning, before the foundations of the earth, the plan of the Father was to give His Son, Jesus Christ, preeminence over all things by uniting all things both in heaven and on earth in Him. And everything we've studied thus far through Genesis and everything in all of Scripture is God the Father bringing that plan to fruition. Bringing that plan about. And the only thing that is now lacking is the return of Jesus Christ, the day of judgment, and the new heavens and the new earth. We're not preaching on that today for, those, for the end times buffs in here and the revelation buffs in here. I'm not going there. I'm just saying right now that's the only thing lacking in that. And if you were to say, Caleb, I get that, but... Isn't there a lot more stuff in Genesis like the creation, like Noah, like Abraham, like Isaac, like Joseph? Yes, all of that's there. But what I want you to understand and what I need to understand, what we all need to understand more than anything is everything, all of it, every last bit of it is there intentionally to point us to Christ. That's the goal. For Christ to have preeminence in all things. And even in Genesis... Although, again, we are not reading literal stories that say, and then Jesus went here. And then Jesus was underneath the terebinth trees or the oaks at Mamre. Even though we're not reading stories that say that, Christ is present in all of this. And all of this points to Christ. God is good. God is faithful. God is sovereign. Man is sinful. Man is stubborn. Mankind is made up of the recipients of grace. And all of this points to God, the Father, His plan to unite all things in Christ Jesus so that Christ would have preeminence in all things. Now, to kind of section off Genesis and what we've studied thus far, I want to do the same thing. Chapters 1 through 3. If you're taking notes, you can write chapters 1 through 3. If you like options, I'll give you two options for each of these, okay? Chapters 1 through 3 in Genesis. Creation. Fall. Grace. There's your first option for three words to write down. Creation. Fall. Grace. Or, you could put order rebellion redemption order rebellion redemption to briefly unpack that we have creation fall grace if you read genesis 1 through 3 you're going to read about the creation you're literally going to read in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth you're going to read the days of creation you're going to see that God put everything in order. He gave a design to everything. How it's supposed to operate. Everything produced after its own kind. We've been, <coughs> we've been going over something with Wren. We'll, we'll say to Wren, uh, what, do, what do apples make? She'll say, more apples. What do dogs make? More dogs. What do, what do people make? More people. Okay, And we're doing that Just as an easy way for for her to understand, you know that. As As an easy way for her to start to understand, oh, there's an order to things. God created it this way. Everything reproduces after its own kind. So you're going to see creation. You're going to see order. And even with order, you could say God gave instructions. You're going to see that in Genesis 1 through 3. Be fruitful and multiply. Subdue the earth. Don't eat of that tree. We see the fall. We see rebellion. We see where Adam and Eve did take of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they did eat. And they fell into sin. Adam as a representative of Christ... Plunging all of mankind after him into bondage to sin and slavery to sin. And then, as the punishments for this action are being doled out, we're immediately presented with grace and redemption. Because there's a promise given right there in Genesis 3 that the head of the serpent would be crushed. The head of the serpent would be crushed. In a way, you could say, well, it's Adam and Eve that deserve to be crushed, to be demolished, to be wiped out, because they directly disobeyed a holy God, their holy Creator. So why do we have this guarantee and this promise that the head of the serpent would be crushed? Again, all of this connected to Christ having preeminence in all things. But we're immediately exposed to grace and redemption. Or you could say the narrative of grace or the narrative of redemption really kicks off at this point. Because we see Adam and Eve fell into sin. What is God going to do next? (coughs) This God who told them, in the day you eat of this tree... You will surely die. They ate of that tree. What is He going to do next? He's going to promise to crush the head of the serpent which tempted them. And He is going to fashion coverings for them that He has made through a sacrifice. He covers their sin and shame. So immediately this this narrative of grace and redemption is opened up for us. And immediately, we as Christians, when we read through this for, for the rest of our lives, if, if, you've, if we've never thought about it like this before, right there we should say, right here, plain as day, this points to Christ. And so from this point forward, we are on our way. We are going through this narrative which leads to Christ. It's, it's always been about Christ. It always will be about Christ. It is for His glory. It is that He would have preeminence in all things. Adam and Eve couldn't fix their situation. Only Christ could fix their situation. We can't fix our own situation. We can't overcome sin and death. Only Christ has conquered sin and death. Only Christ has crushed the head of the serpent. So Genesis 1 through 3. Creation, fall, grace, or order, rebellion... Redemption. Chapters 4 through 6. Cain and Abel, I know that's not one word, but Cain and Abel, <coughs> lineage <coughs> representative. Cain and Abel, lineage Daddy, representative. Or. You could choose murder, lineage, wrath, and grace. Murder, lineage, wrath, and grace. Because in chapters 4-6, through we do have the narrative of Cain and Abel. We have the first recorded murder. A brother killing his own brother simply because God accepted the sacrifice of one, the worship of one, and not the other. And instead of repenting, turning away from his wrongdoing... And honoring God through proper worship and proper sacrifice, he decides that the best solution is well, I'll just kill my brother. But then God gives to Adam and Eve, he gives Seth. And we talked about those lineages. You have the lineage of Cain, that evil or godless lineage. And then you have the lineage of Seth that ultimately led to Noah. Noah stands as a type of representative because post-flood you could say that Noah was almost a, a another Adam. Because post-flood the only people that existed was Noah and his wife and their three sons and their wives. But Noah stood as the leader. It was Noah that found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And he kind of stands as a representative. But we see the flood. Or the promise of a flood. And so we see wrath and grace. Why was the flood coming? Why did God say He was sending the flood? The rampant, unrepentant wickedness and evil that was in mankind. Where's the grace? Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord or found favor in the sight of the Lord. And God told Noah, build an ark for you and your three sons and your wives. Build the ark. Bring the animals in two by two. Which we actually talked about that. It wasn't just two by two for every every animal. And through that flood, that will be in the next section, 7-10. through But through the impending judgment, you will be safe. You will be taken care of. So we see wrath and grace. So we see Cain and Abel, the lineage and a representative. We see murder, the lineage, and wrath and grace. We see a clear picture of the sinfulness of man, murder, taking more than one wife, bragging about murder with Lamech. He was, he was bragging and boasting that he had taken a life. We see the wickedness of mankind become so severe that God says, I'm going to destroy everything except for Noah and his family. So we see the wrath of God against sin. Every single one of us left to our sin. Every single one of us deserves death. We deserve the judgment of God. But yet, God is gracious. God gives a representative. God gives grace. God provides an ark. God provides Jesus Christ. Chapter 7 through 10. Genesis chapter 7 through 10. Flood. New world, promise, or judgment, praise, and population. So the flood comes, just as God said that it would. The flood comes, everything is wiped off the face of the earth. Utter destruction, except for Noah and his family. And all the animals which boarded the ark. When the flood subsides, it's as if it's a it's a new world, a new creation, a restart. And God gives a promise that never again would He destroy the world with a flood again. And He gives instruction too. He gives the promise, and there's also instructions that Noah and his family they should be fruitful and multiply. Because they're going to repopulate the earth. So we see the judgment of the flood. We see the judgment of wickedness. The judgment against sin. God pouring out His wrath upon all creation. We also see praise. Because what what do we read that Noah did first when he got off the ark? He made a sacrifice to God and he worshipped. An acknowledgement that God did as he saw fit and God... Saved and preserved Noah and his family. And God is worthy of worship. God is worthy of the sacrifice. God is worthy of praise. And again, they were told to be fruitful and multiply. And they were to populate the earth. Chapters 11 and 12. You can write down Babel. Abraham, gospel. Or, dispersed, chosen, faithful. Chapters 11 and 12, we do read of the Tower of Babel. That even though, even though God gave a promise, He would never again destroy the world with a flood. And even though He told them to be fruitful and multiply and to, to fill the earth. Three simple words. Fill the earth. What was the game plan that mankind came up with? We're going to stay right here, make a great city, and build a tower that reaches the heavens. So we see the Tower of Babel. That results in the people being dispersed, scattered, and the languages being confused. After the languages have been scattered, after after the Tower of Babel incident, we see that of all the peoples on the earth that existed at that time, God sovereignly chose one man, Abraham. The son of pagan parents. Nevertheless, He chooses Abraham. And we see that right out of the gate there was, there was promises given to Abraham when God called him out of the, the land in which he was. And we made, a, we made a strong connection. And I hope we remember this. If you don't, you can write down Galatians. The fact that in Galatians, Paul says, the Gospel... So like this, this isn't some great mystery. Like Paul says it black and white, plain as day. The Gospel was preached to Abraham. So Babel, Abraham, and Gospel. What was that Gospel? To refresh our memories... The gospel was, In you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. (laughs) How is that the gospel? As a result of the call of Abraham and the lineage that began with Abraham, as a result of that comes Jesus Christ into the world, the Savior, the one who was promised in Genesis 3. The one that was foreshadowed in Genesis 3 by the coverings that God made for Adam and Eve. God made a covering for them, fashioned a covering for them and gave it to them. Jesus Christ, His righteousness is our covering. God made Him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. The people were dispersed. Abraham was chosen. And from that point, just considering the life of Abraham, just considering the life of Abraham, you could say, well, God always, from that point forward, there was never a time that God did not show himself faithful to the promises given to Abraham. But it goes beyond that. The call of Abraham, Babel, the flood. Noah finding grace or favor in the eyes of the Lord, the birth of Seth and a godly lineage, all of it is connected that from the beginning, God is faithful. He is faithful to accomplish all that He intends. And He is faithful, namely, to give His Son preeminence in all things and to unite all things in His Son. Jesus Christ. God is faithful to His Word that the head of the serpent would be crushed. God is faithful to make a covering for the sin and shame of sinful mankind. God is faithful to provide the sacrifice. In 21 chapters... Listen, everything that I just said... I know that I made cross-references, but everything that I've just said, 21 chapters in Genesis. Now, we could pretty well say, well, you could probably make connections with the rest of Scripture. Just through what we've covered in Genesis this far. Absolutely. And that's exactly the point. All of Scripture, all of it, is a divine narrative of redemption. And the Redeemer, the star of the story, the one who must have preeminence over all things, the Redeemer himself is the perfect Son of God, Jesus the Christ. Are there things that we have discussed from these 21 chapters that we say, well, we we need to learn this. And this is an encouragement for us to live this way and to practice this. And this is how we can grow in the faith. Yes, are there things that are practical that we learn from? Yes, but are we? do we read the Scriptures? Do we read the first 21 chapters of Genesis and say, what does this tell me about me? Are we to be the central focus of these things? No. God and His glory The glory of the Son. God and His faithfulness to fulfill His promises. Christ and His power to save. Real quick, I don't have three words for all of these. From 13 to 21, to get to where we're at. Chapter 13, Abraham and Lot separate. We studied that account. We knew what that was going to set up. Lot was going to end up in Sodom and Gomorrah. As soon as they separate, you can see the foreshadowing. Lot knew that Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't too far away, but he still chose where he chose. Chapter 14, Abraham rescues Lot and gains the victory. There's a battle. Abraham gains the victory. That shows God's faithfulness. Abraham, uh, God was faithful to give Abraham the victory. And at the end of that, uh, Abraham and we are introduced to Melchizedek, one of the most mysterious Figures in all of Scripture. Hardly anything is known about Melchizedek. In chapter 15, there's a covenant made between Abraham and God. And that's something you can mark down as just a pivotal moment, uh, uh, an imperative chapter of Scripture for us to be familiar with because of the significance of it. That is the chapter where, yes, a covenant was made between God and Abraham, but Abraham was off to a stupor to the side. God cut that covenant or sealed that covenant with Himself. God is faithful. In chapter 16, we have the, the plot to bring about the promised child. Not through Abraham and Sarah, but through Abraham, Sarah and Hagar. And from Abraham and Hagar come Ishmael. And so we see that come about. We talked about the, the lack of faith or the misstep between Abraham and Sarah. Trying to take things into their own hands. Chapter 17, we have circumcision being a side of the covenant. An outward, fleshly sign of the covenant between God and His people. And we have the promises confirmed. The promises reconfirmed to Abraham. You and Sarah will have a son. You will be the father of a great nation. I will give you the son. It will be you and Sarah. Not you and Hagar. Not you and any other woman. Chapter 18. We see that Abraham host probably hosted... Uh, um, Uh, pre-incarnate Christ, the angel of the Lord. Probably played host to Jesus and, and two other angels. And we see that that chapter ends with Abraham interceding on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah. Because the Lord told him his plans and Abraham was interceding on behalf of them. Perhaps a representation of the intercession that takes place right now at the right hand of the Father through Jesus Christ for for His own people. In chapter 19, we see the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, but the preservation of Lot. In chapter 20, we have, and when I wrote this down, I said, man, if I titled my sermon, I could have titled the sermon this because it's alliterated, but... In chapter 20, we saw a scene of sovereignty. Because that's the chapter that God makes clear. He has authority over Abimelech, all of the people in Abimelech's home. He has authority over all of, the, all of the wombs of women in the land. He has authority over all things. From start to finish. And we see the protection of Abraham. Even though Abraham and Sarah lied again. And tried to come up with their own plan again. God not only protects them, but God grants them blessings through Abimelech. And chapter 21, the promised son Isaac is born and Ishmael is protected. And the end of chapter 21, King Abimelech actually wants to make a treaty or make a pact with Abraham because even this this pagan king acknowledges God is with you and He blesses you in all that you do. And that brings us to where we are at now, at this point in our study of Genesis. We've covered a lot of ground. We have a lot of ground left to cover. But we've covered a lot of ground. And I pray, as your pastor, the prayer is not simply, God help us to grow in our understanding of Genesis. Genesis. The prayer is that, yes, we would grow in our understanding of Genesis. More specifically, that we would grow in our understanding of the great narrative of redemption. That all of Scripture really does pertain to Christ. That we grow in our understanding that God alone is faithful. Because we, on our end, we will misstep, we will lack faith, we will sin, we will doubt, we will fear. But God alone is faithful. But when it comes to our own salvation, I pray that through Genesis, God would lead us to a greater knowledge and understanding of just how great a gift salvation truly is. I pray that through this study of Genesis, we would come to marvel that that God would save anyone at all. As we just read record after record after record of just how sinful man can actually be. And God still said, I will make a people for my own possession. And He calls Abraham and says, I will make you the father of a great nation. And in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And we know that the end result of that, to bring revelation into this, we know that the end result of that is that there will be a multitude that no man can number singing praises to God for the salvation that is given through Jesus Christ. I'll close where I began. I want the phrases that God is God, God is faithful, God is sovereign, man is sinful, man is stubborn, man is the recipient of grace. And that Christ will have preeminence in all things. I want those big major bullet points to carry us through this study. But I also want to try to make clear, I think, for the first time, try to make really clear why I personally, as your pastor want those to be the bullet points that I'm constantly trying to drive home. It's not just so that it will guide through our study in Genesis. But I know, and I'd be willing to bet that you know as well, that when the trials of life hit, a lot of times we don't have time to recite to ourselves all of our doctrinal understandings and our theological understandings. And we don't really have time to sit back and, and process and think, oh, well, how does this connect to uh, counting on all joy in trials and tribulation? Oh, how does this lead me to consider the goodness of God? When trials of life hit, things typically seem to happen at a rapid pace. And as deep as I like to get into things sometimes, and as, as, as much as I enjoy deep doctrinal theological studies, the bottom line is this. When life hits you hard, so to speak, honestly, a lot of times our first thought when life hits us hard isn't, oh, well, life isn't hitting me hard. God is sovereign. God brought this into my life. I should ask for wisdom, and I should seek to rejoice through this trial. It's typically not how our mind responds. You agree or disagree? Good. Most of you are still awake. Sometimes when life hits us hard, we find ourselves at, you've heard this phrase before, we might find ourselves at rock bottom. We've tried everything, the problem still won't go away. We feel like we're drowning. We're in over our heads. Well, when we hit rock bottom, I pray that these are the bedrock truths that we remember. We might not have time to process all of our theological and doctrinal understandings, but here's some some very simple facts of life that that will help carry us through life. God is good. He's faithful, right? God is God. God is faithful. God is sovereign. (coughs) Life might hit us hard. We might find ourselves at the bottom. And we might not have time to process everything. But we can tell ourselves, wait a minute. God is still God. That brings me some rest. That brings me some peace. God is still good and He is faithful. Okay, amen. And God is sovereign. Which means, not only does He have me, He's got me, but He's got this entire situation and He's got everybody else involved in this situation fully under control. I can rest in that. Those are the bedrock truths that I pray we come back to when, when life hits us hard. And sometimes when it's life hitting us hard, and it causes us to think, do I do I even belong to God at all? God, have you forgotten me? Man is sinful. Ooh, I need to. I'm sinful. I need to be. I need to make sure who am I to answer back to God. Man is stubborn. God, search me. See if there be any wicked way within me. Have I turned against you? Am I, is there any sin unbeknownst to me? Man is the recipient of grace. God, praise you that I know that I am your child. Because of your grace. And even though I feel like I'm rock bottom, God, I know you have not forgotten me. Because all of your promises are yes in Jesus. The one who I have preeminence in all things. The one that you sent to crush the head of the serpent. The one that you have fashioned to be my covering. His righteousness. His righteousness for my sin. And I hope we learn these things and we... Become accustomed to these things, and we cling to these things so much more closely as we study the book of Genesis and through what we have studied already in these twenty one verses or twenty one chapters. God is God, and He is faithful, and He is sovereign. We are simply as His people, we are the recipients of grace. And it is also that Christ would have preeminence and glory in all things. And for those who are unsaved, if we have friends, family members, or if there is any here today that is wondering about their salvation, or if they're unsaved and wanting to know how to be saved, it's just as simple as turning from sin. Man is sinful. Man is stubborn. Turn from sin. God commands all people everywhere to repent. Turn from your sin. Repent. And place your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And we get to share that message with those around us. So, I hope that this has helped kind of connect and tie in all of the main things that we've talked about through 21 chapters of Genesis thus far. I pray that it bolsters your faith, that it it undergirds your faith, that it strengthens us, that it sets our hearts and our minds firmly upon Christ our Lord and Savior who is crucified, is risen, And is currently seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf, and that our souls find rest in Him. All of the weariness of life, all of the turmoil of life, all of the ebbs and the flows of life, all of the times that life has come at us fast. All of the times that the rug got swept out from under us and we find ourselves on our face, a rock bottom, that we learn to remind ourselves of these basic eternal truths God is good and faithful. He is God, the one true God. He's sovereign over all things. We are the ones who are sinful, stubborn, and yet. We are the recipients of His eternal grace that He poured out and He displayed His love through His Son, Jesus Christ. And our faith is in Him. May God be glorified as we consider these truths. Thank you all, as always, for listening and being attentive. Um, I pray that as we consider these things in the days ahead and as we... Maybe a year from now, two, three, four years from now, we are writing these things down. We're flipping through and we say, praise God for that study in Genesis. Praise God for these faithful reminders. So we pray His will be done. Let's close in a word of prayer.